Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, again, in our New Testament reading, Matthew 11. We'll read verses 11 and 12. And then our Old Testament reading and our scripture, our sermon text will be Genesis 32. Matthew 11, verses 11 and 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. So far the reading of the New Testament in Matthew 11. Now let's turn our attention to the Old Testament, to Genesis 32. Genesis 32, verses 22 through the end of the chapter. We've been going through Genesis and Fort Worth, so this is what we heard a week ago. Um, Genesis 32, we'll begin reading with verse 22. Hear the word of the Lord. The same night Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok River. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. And therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. So far, the reading of God's Word this morning, I encourage you to keep your Bibles open because we're going to be referring to our text and other texts in Scripture a number of times. Well, friends, when we read the Bible, it doesn't whitewash its main characters. In politics, it's very important that you bury or get rid of the bad stories and just present the good stories. And so it is with the main religions of the world also, the great prophets, uh, Islam, there really uh, isn't a lot of bad things about the prophet Muhammad, or if there is, they say it's not bad, it's good. But in Scripture, in the Bible, we see the Bible, because it's true, it doesn't hide the sins and the great failures and the flaws of its main characters. Even the great patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here, we're, we've been reading about one of the patriarchs, Jacob. And uh, we don't get a very flattering picture of him. Now, this uh, we've been going through Genesis for several weeks now. 
But uh, many of you are familiar with Jacob's background, the backstory, right? And we, if you were to read through Genesis up to this point, you would have seen that for the first 40 years of his life, Jacob has been a really nasty person, you know, a very unsavory character. Uh, if, if you read, uh, if you have a moralistic reading of scripture, you basically would say, don't be like Jacob, because he's just been nasty. Uh, even in his mother's womb, uh, it, we read that he's fighting with his twin brother. Uh, and so there's a struggle between these two unborn babies. And Jacob, he ends up being the younger one of the twins. He came just after Esau. But he's called Jacob, the name Jacob, because he's actually grasping the heel of his brother Esau. So Esau, the firstborn, gets all these advantages and blessings of the culture. But Jacob, he, he doesn't want to be left out. He's grasping the heel of Esau. And so the name Jacob, well, and, and not only is he grasping the heel, but then we find out later that he tries to cheat uh, to be that firstborn, you know, grabbing on and coming out perhaps first. And the name Jacob, it means he grasps the heel or he cheats. Now, there are some Jacobs in the congregation. That's not a reflection of, of that Jacob. One of my daughters named Bethany, and that means house of my poverty. So, you know, not always do we choose names because of their meaning. But that's what Jacob means. It means he grasps the heel or he's a cheater. And his name actually sums up Jacob's life, his first 40 years, certainly in his relationship with his twin brother Esau. Uh, you would have seen in earlier chapters in Genesis that Jacob would struggle to obtain the family blessing at Esau's expense. You know, how did Jacob's struggle and his cheating against Esau, how did that turn out for him? Well, not well. If you would have read prior chapters, you would have read that after Jacob deceived his own father and basically kneecapped his own brother Esau, that when it was revealed that Esau the cheater has stolen the blessing, Esau cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry, Bless me, even me also, my father. And Esau, cheated out of the blessing, plots to kill his brother Jacob. It doesn't end well, right? All throughout the first 40 years of his life, Jacob is the one who struggles, the one who grasps his brother's heel, the one who cheats. Not many people would like Jacob, nor should they. But now, after 40 years approximately of striving, we read about a change of heart in Jacob here in this chapter, Genesis 32. And for the first time, I would argue, Jacob shows signs that God is changing and softening his heart. That God is make of, making Jacob spiritually alive or regenerating him. In fact, I'm going to go back to earlier in chapter 32 and just read a few verses. Verses 10 through 12. This is just before our text here. And verses 10 through 12, Jacob, he, he's about 
he thinks ready to be slaughtered by his brother Esau and 400 fighting men. And so he thinks, oh my goodness, I am, my family and I are going to be wiped out. And, and so he goes to God, he pours out his heart in prayer, and listen to what he says in verses 10 through 12. Lord, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan River, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. I think this is where the Holy Spirit starts to regenerate Jacob. It's at this moment. Because in verse 10, Jacob humbles himself before God and he confesses, O Lord, I am unworthy. The prayer and the cry of a humble man who starts to see himself as God sees him. And then verse 11 and 12, please deliver me. He knows his schemes aren't going to work. His strength isn't going to be able to deliver him. So what does he do? He cries out, oh God, please deliver me. Please save me. His cry for salvation is to the Lord. And then verse 12, uh, even better. What does he say? The first three words. Oh Lord, but you said, I will surely do you good. Jacob is relying on God's promises and God's words. It's a sign of a regenerate heart. And so what we see here is that Jacob comes to the end of his striving, his cheating, and he cries out to God for salvation, basing his plea on the reliability of God and his promises. This sounds like someone whose heart is being changed by God. And sure enough, in our text, now that's the backstory. now our text, We see Jacob seeking blessing, not through his striving, but seeking the blessing only from God. Uh, Let's look at our text, verses 24 through 26 again. Jacob was left alone on the side of the river, and a man wrestled with Jacob until the dawn. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was wrenched out of joint as he wrestled with him. And the man said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless, until you bless me. By the way, who's the man who wrestles with Jacob? We don't know his name, do we? But we know this, kids, is what we would call a theophany. This is uh, God appearing as a man. And we know it's God, even though we don't know his name, by what we read in verse 30. What does verse 30 say? So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, which means the face of God, right? (laughs) Jacob (laughs) called that wrestling arena the face of God, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been spared. So who is the man who's wrestling with Jacob? 
says God taking on the appearance of a man, a theophany. And in verse 26, what does Jacob say? Jacob says, I will not let you go. I will not release my grasp until you bless me. Isn't this great? The one who grasped the heel, Jacob, of his brother Esau, that's what his name means, now grasps onto God. And he will not let go. He must receive God's blessing. I will not let you go. Friends, this is the sign of a regenerate heart. Do unregenerate people seek the favor of the living God? Not usually. And yet here, Jacob seeks after God and he is desperate. I will not let you go. I will not let go of my grasp until you bless me. This is what I think Matthew 11 is speaking about, that text that we read earlier. Uh, A very unusual text. Uh, Heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. That's not a text saying that Christians have our own form of jihad, that we take up the sword or the ballot box to hammer our enemies. Um, But it's actually talking about how the people who are desperate for God's blessing are desperate for God's blessing. The violent take it by force. And again, it's not talking about physical violence, but it's talking about a strong desire to cling to God. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, but also that what? He rewards those who diligently seek him. And now the one who grasped his brother's heel, the one who cheats, is now given a new name to reflect his new character and circumstances. And what's that? Let's look at verse 27 and 28. And the man, the God, the Theophany said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men, and you have prevailed. From grasping his brother's heel to now grasping onto God and not letting go, he is called Israel. You have prevailed against man and God. Now, Uh, Is this a man-centered message saying, seek God with all your heart in 2020? No, does Jacob prevail through his striving, his cunning, uh, his moral resolve, or his strength? No, that's not the point. He certainly isn't prevailing against man Esau through strength and cunning, is he? Unless you call being in danger of being slaughtered by Esau and his 400 men prevailing. No. No. It's not all about be like Jacob now. Don't be like Jacob for his first 40 years, but now be like Jacob. No. Jacob prevails because now he desperately clings to God alone for God's blessing. 
And so the message isn't be like Jacob, be tenacious like him and seek. But the message ultimately is on the object of Jacob's grasp, on God's saving power. That's the focus. I will not let you go unless you bless me. It's not about Jacob per se. It's about God. Now, Jacob is involved, right? Jacob is now all in on trusting God. We see that he has been humbled. He cries out to God for salvation. He trusts God's promises. And now he is grasping onto God alone until God blesses. And in that sense, friends, Jacob's story isn't just something that happened on the Jabbok River thousands of years ago. But Jacob's story, so it is with all believers, isn't it? For all whom God unconditionally loves and elects from eternity, because remember, God predicted Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, even before they were born. All whom God unconditionally loves and elects from eternity, eventually, uh, that person will find herself humbled before God, seeking God's deliverance, praying back God's word and God's promises, and grasping onto God alone for their salvation. For Jacob, he looked to the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, the God who appeared to him earlier and made gracious promises. For us today, we look to the same God to the one who blessed Jacob. But we look back 2,000 years ago specifically, and we see God's basis of our salvation and our blessing secured by the God-man, Jesus Christ. And Friends, we are not called to go all Joel Osteen and seeking God's blessing of wealth and health. That's how some interpret this text. I will not let you go until you bless my business, until my bank account is increased tenfold. No. What we are doing is we are called to look to God for our deliverance from God's wrath against our sin and wickedness. And we look to God for our blessing as righteous sons and daughters, children and heirs of the King, through God's promises secured by Jesus Christ. After all, it is Christ who secures the blessing of God, isn't it? It is Christ who removes the curse first. In order to receive the blessing of God, you have to have the curse removed. And it is Christ and him alone who has removed the curse and God's wrath from you by taking God's wrath in your place. So it is Christ who first removes the curse. That's got to happen for you to receive blessing. But then it is Christ who merits God's favor by keeping all of God's commands perfectly, as we heard this morning, and clothes you in his white robes of righteousness. We now grasp onto God. We seek God's blessing only in Christ and his saving work.
And in that, friends, Christ is, as the sermon says, our only hope. You know, some people, uh, some large religious organizations say that you need Jesus, but you also need to do your part to cooperate with grace. Still others will say that you need Jesus and you need sufficient love for Jesus to obtain God's blessing. They're both wrong. Friend, you will never have enough love for Jesus to merit God's blessing. You will not be able to cooperate with grace enough to obtain God's favor. Our focus, it only goes back to Christ alone. I am unworthy. But you, God, you have said and what we read already, that whoever comes to you, Christ, that you will give rest. What does Jesus say in the Gospel of John? All who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. And friend, you need to grasp onto Christ alone. And so Matthew 11, verses 11 and 12 Heaven suffers violence, the violent take it by force. Friend, you need to cling to Christ's saving work alone. And you need to push aside and even get aggressive for anyone who tries to deflect or dilute Christ as your basis of God's blessing. A lot of people talk about Jesus and Christ-centered. But if anyone tries to say you're going to obtain God's blessing apart from the finished saving work of Christ. Don't get physically violent, but you cling to Christ alone. You think, well, isn't, aren't you taking that out of context? Well, friends, what about in the gospel? The friends of the paralyzed man couldn't get the man close to Jesus. What they do, they went up on the roof and they started taking the roof tiles off and they lowered their friend below Christ. And what did Jesus do? He saw their faith and he said what? Friend, your sins are forgiven. That's what Matthew 11 is talking about when it says heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force is talking about the parents who brought their children to Jesus to be blessed, sought the blessing of Christ for their children. And the gatekeepers, the disciples said, ah, no, too busy, he doesn't have time for you. And they persisted. So you need to, through the scriptures, bring your children to Christ's saving work. Like Jacob or Israel, you need to grasp onto God and his salvation through Christ's objective saving work. Confident that he says, all who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. And we, like Jacob, must cling to Jesus and say, I will not let you go until you bless me confident that he has secured God's blessing for all who grasp unto him. In 2020, brothers and sisters, 
we pray that God would strengthen your faith in Christ, would strengthen your grasp upon his finished saving work, and you would violently persist in clinging to Christ alone for your salvation. Let's go before God's throne in prayer. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have provided a perfect righteousness for us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you not only removed the curse from us by your passive obedience, but you also clothed us in righteousness by your active obedience so that we now can be your sons and daughters, that we now can hear your blessing. This is my beloved son or my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. You're not well pleased with us because we try hard or because we've done so much good. You're well pleased with us only because you see us robed in Christ's righteousness. But we thank you that robed in Christ's righteousness, you are well pleased with us. We pray, Father, that we would tenaciously cling to Christ's objective, finished, saving work. That we would not be diverted, that we would not be deluded by even nice-sounding platitudes and even scripture verses that seem to tell us Jesus and our striving but that we would grasp onto Christ, that our grip would be strengthened. And so, Father, we pray that you would increase our faith in you and in your promises and in Christ in this coming year. We pray all these things in the name of our righteousness, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.